And if you want to know uh, all about God's amazing grace and how His favor can change your fortune, then you've tuned in uh, to the right place today. Uh, we're in week two of a brand new series that we're calling Through Their Eyes. Um, and a while back, uh, we studied the Gospel of Luke, and we came to know Jesus through the eyes of His original followers. And that was just volume one of the story of Jesus, the story that Luke um, tells us. Uh, Luke wrote a second book which is called the book of Acts. And, and because the story of Jesus did not end with his death, even though he did indeed die an awful, brutal death on a Roman cross, the story of Jesus didn't end on the cross because the cross didn't end Jesus. You see, had Jesus died and had he stayed dead, his story would have faded away with history and been forgotten within a few years. No one would have remembered the delusional and misguided Jesus of Nazareth. Roman crucifixions were meant to erase people from history, and that's what would have happened to Jesus like so many other crucified people. And honestly, after all that he claimed to be, and after all that he said about himself, all who followed him would have gladly forgotten him, would have been ready to forget about him, because messiahs don't die, saviors don't suffer. And if Jesus was defeated by a Roman cross, then what good were his claims of being from God? What good were his claims of building a kingdom? Or so they thought. In fact, his followers were so ready to throw in the towel upon his death. That's exactly what they did. But thankfully, there was more to the story. And that's why we remember the story. Because Jesus came back to life. And the story of Jesus took on a second phase after his resurrection. The very disciples that unfollowed quickly lined up to refollow within just a few days of his resurrection because Jesus convinced them that there was more to come. Initially, though, even after hearing claims of his resurrection, they didn't know what to make of this. And their struggle actually makes the story all the more believable because had this been fabricated, it would have went something like this. It would have been so cliche. The story might would have went, and on Sunday morning, they were there at the tomb counting down for sunrise. Or when he arose, they bowed and vowed their lives in service to him. But that's not how the story goes. Luke reports to us that they weren't waiting at all they were not ready to take on the world at all. Even after reports of his return, they were at a loss. The tomb was empty, but so were they. There had to be more to the story. There had to be something that they were missing if Jesus really was back to life. And exactly, there was something missing. Luke bridges the volumes. He bridges the story of Jesus's earthly ministry to the story of the church with this epilogue um, in Luke 24 that we studied last time. With word spreading that Jesus may be alive, his disciples wondered what this might mean for them. They didn't feel any different. In fact, they still felt drastically worse than they did when they were following his every step. And, and what they found out and what we determined last time is that they would have to learn how to look for and learn how to listen for Jesus in a brand new way. Because the resurrection changed the very nature of their relationship with Jesus. No longer would they walk by sight, but it would be better than that. They would walk by faith. See, initially, walking by sight seems to be a better an option. Uh, that is, until the lights go out, right? Until you can't see at all, no matter who's with you, if you can't see them, what good does sight do? That's why by faith is so much better. 
because by faith takes a different approach. Faith relies on God's spirit, not our flesh. See, relying on the flesh is good when the flesh is good. But what happens when our flesh fails? Right? Not just our own flesh, but all those around us, the institutions of this world, those that we rest on and trust in. What happens when we can't see or touch or feel? What happens when those things fall apart? You know what happens. Our faith falls apart because it's all based on what is tangible. When the tangible crumbles, our faith crumbles. But the Spirit of God is not restrained nor restricted by the world. He is not limited by this world's boundaries. And choosing to walk by faith, choosing to walk this way, may initially require a leap of faith. But once you've experienced life by faith, once you experience life in the Spirit of God, not by the flesh, not by sight, once you go this way, there will be no turning back because nothing compares to walking by faith. Nothing compares to following God in His Spirit, in His steps. Once our faith is awakened and our eyes of our hearts are opened, we will never cease to see and know that God is with us. And that's better than how we feel. See, in Luke 24, the disciples were walking with the resurrected Jesus, but they didn't know it. They didn't realize it. They didn't recognize him. These men spent three years with him, and they were completely blind to him. That's how unreliable by sight religion is. But... When Jesus spoke to them from the Scriptures, when He spoke and explained God's Word, and their hearts were open to Him, they saw the better way right in front of them. And the book of Acts is the realization of this new and better approach to God by faith and not by sight. Luke teases this better approach at the end of his first volume. We closed last week with a look at Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Luke teases out this new normal, this new phase of the ministry of Jesus, this new thing that's about to happen. But I want to try to explain how foreign this concept was still to the disciples. Even though they had seen the resurrected Jesus and had been, you know, their eyes had been opened, it was still something so foreign to them and something so brand new to them. So I want to explain kind of how this would have been so, so different for them. Look at how the story of Luke ends just a few verses later. And they worshiped, the disciples, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, why is that significant? If you remember the story, the beginning of Luke, Luke's gospel begins and ends in the temple. The temple had been the epicenter for Jewish religion. The temple, uh, or a temple, was the epicenter for every religion. Uh, temples were known as the dwelling place of the gods. Judaism and its temple was no exception to this rule. In the Old Testament days, God's spirit was present in a very specific holy place in the temple, but that had not been a reality for a long time. But the prophet spoke of a new day coming, a return to God's spirit, uh, to the land. And Luke begins his story in the temple. The first few chapters, you see the religious leaders waiting in the temple. We see priests and lay people alike praying, making offerings, all waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
No, Jesus showed up full of God's Spirit and was resurrected by God's Spirit, clearly demonstrating that God had indeed returned to Israel. But it would be different than expected. The disciples, even after witnessing all they had witnessed, still held on to this temple idea, this temple model that would be all confined to one place and on a certain time or a certain day. But Acts opens up and assures us that this is not the direction that God was taking. It would be so much better than that. If you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, let's read verses 1 through 5. Luke says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdoms of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The thesis for this book is alluded to in verses one, verse 1 summary of the previous volume. See how Luke previews coming attractions in verse 1. He says, this first book, the first book that I wrote you, we call it Luke, wasn't the whole story. That's why I'm writing this story. A very important thing to note in this verse is where he says in verse 1, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, comma. Notice that word began. Luke is previewing coming attractions. If you thought Jesus' movement ended with his death, you better think again. Because what had started with Jesus would continue through his disciples. And that is what Luke teases out in this first verse. Jesus began this movement. His disciples are going to continue this movement. And it will have no end. Jesus alone had the presence and power of God within him. But from Acts forward, everyone, everyone, including you, everyone could receive God's Spirit by faith in Jesus. And that is the promise of verse number 4 and 5. They had to wait on it for a little bit, but you and I don't have to wait on this promise. By faith, we receive what God promised to us in this text, but what God had started within the heart of one man, he would continue through the hearts of all people. Key word, though, their hearts. The Jesus movement would continue by their faith and by God's Spirit. Now, in Acts, we get to see through the eyes of those who continued this movement, which we have inherited. Better said, we get to see through the eyes of their hearts to know what our own hearts ought to look like we get to learn how to see and hear Jesus by faith how to follow him in his spirit now today we're going to focus more on the by faith part and we'll get to the by spirit by his spirit part next time but we're going to learn how our faith should lead us through the ups and downs of this life and there's something very important I want to iron out before we go too much farther and get too much deeper into this. Um, you, you see, Acts is an example for us um, that we all can follow. We all can follow God by faith in Jesus, by His Spirit. But Acts is prefaced 
by this historical proof of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, as Luke told us, and as Luke alludes to in verse number three, where he says, all these things, uh, uh, Jesus presented himself by his sufferings, many infallible proofs. He was witnessed by many for 40 days following his resurrection, and then he ascended to heaven. So Luke puts his own reputation on the line by saying, there are many infallible proofs. I've recorded them all in my previous book. Luke anchors his invitation to the world, his invitation that we all should follow Jesus, his guideline that we all should follow Jesus. Luke anchors this invitation in something that happened. So I want to talk about something that's so important because often the idea of by faith gets taken to a place that God never intended it. And often we hear, the, we hear the idea, we hear the invitation, take it by faith, and we act as if there's nothing to step out on. There's no proof. There's no, you know, uh, 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 something reliable for us to lean on. But that's never the intention that God had for living by faith. And, and what Jesus did with his disciples before is so important. He revealed himself based on the word about him when he said from the law and the prophets and he showed them how it was previewed that the Messiah would come, suffer, die, and raise again. Jesus gave the disciples an understanding that the Bible taught and previewed, predicted all the things that happened to him. Jesus pr pr presented himself based on an event in history. He commissioned his disciples to go into all the world. So Luke does that same thing in this intro. He bases what God is about to do through the disciples on what God has already done through Jesus. This is not some blind invitation. This is something that is based on something that happened the disciples will go on to spread their message based on what they had seen, what they had heard. Listen, our message to the world, God's message to the world, has never been just believe or just take it by faith without any substance to lean on. There is no invitation to have blind faith in the Bible. You maybe have heard it taught that way, but I hope and I'm sure that you don't believe that. You know how I know that you don't agree with that idea of blind faith. Because what informs you as a Christian? What informs the church? What inspires the church? What is our foundation? The Word of God, right? The Bible. And if God's message to the world was just believe, if God's message to the world was just take it by faith, our Bible would have a single page. And it would say something like this. Just believe. There would be no history, there would be no information, there would be, be no context, there would be no laws, no prophecies, no fulfillments. It would just be one single three by five that fell out of heaven long, long ago, picked up by some prophet, right? It would just be a single page, a single card that would just say, by faith, or take it by faith, or have faith, or just believe, signed, God. There would be no proof, there would be no evidence. Jesus would have never come to earth to be seen and be witnessed. You see what I'm trying to say? The Bible isn't an invitation to have faith just because of what faith can do. We often talk about, talk about faith like it's some sort of magical you know, uh, you know, thing, magical instrument. Well, if you just have faith, who knows what will happen? No, no, no. The Bible isn't an invitation to have faith just because of what faith might can do. It's an invitation to have faith because of what God has done. You see, you believe. We believe the Bible is God's word, but maybe more important than that, 
The Bible is God's word as seen and told by Moses, by Joshua, by Samuel, by Jeremiah, by Ezra, by David, by Matthew, by Mark, by Luke, by Paul, by Peter, by James, by Jude. You, you get what I'm saying? It's as told and as heard by eyewitnesses. This isn't something that fell out of heaven. It's a compilation of documents, historical accounts, letters, poems, sermons from eyewitnesses to God's activity in ancient Israel and the early church. And it all points to, or it builds on, Jesus. So our why isn't because of faith, but it's by faith in by faith in what God has done it's rooted and grounded in the proof that we have of God's activity in ancient Israel in the early church all centered around Jesus his death and his resurrection and the eyewitnesses of his resurrection are who spearheaded and started this movement our source, our proof, our why is God's Word. And another thing, Luke anchors our potential experience with God in the proven work of God. We have a template to go by. We have something to follow. This is so important because it influences the how uh, the church is to represent and communicate. We don't perform on any given Sunday as if to prove that God is real. We don't expect God to do something new as if to prove to people that he, can, that he is alive. We proclaim every Sunday, we proclaim every day as to point to everyone that God is real. This has not been and never will be a human effort. Our message is not ourselves, it's Jesus. The Spirit of God demonstrates His power through our preaching, through our proclamation, not in our performance, but through God's performance, both past and present. So I wanted to talk about that for a few minutes up front because may we never confuse by faith in with because of faith. Our faith is anchored in Jesus and God's Word. Our faith can be activated because Jesus and God's Word. You get the picture there? It's about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what that means to us. And here's what this does. If this is true, and if we have proof, then we know that when we take the first step of faith, we aren't leaping into something that might catch us, we are leaning into someone and onto someone that will carry us. But what, this, what makes this a greater, more daunting task is we have to be all in. We have to be 100% down if we're going to get what verse 4 and 5 promises. Because if we hedge our bets, if we just believe part, if we straddle the fence, we will always wonder, was there more there than I was willing to trust in? I mean, if verse 3 is true, if, there, if this is an infallible proof, if Jesus did what the Bible says He did, if He is who the Bible says He is, if we hedge our bets, if we just believe part of it or some of it, if Jesus is my Savior, can I really just follow Him sometimes or some places? Can I just follow Him a little bit? Can we really only trust Him if things go the way we expected them to go See, the disciples were on the edge of something spectacular, but their flesh would wrestle with God's Spirit here for a few minutes. 
You see, they're in this upper room quarantine, if you will. They're stuck in this room because of the danger that's outside. They're being prepared for something great, yet they don't know it yet. And here's what makes their faith even more incredible. They didn't know what they were waiting for, but we do. Verse 4 and 5 promises them something from God, a power, a presence from God, a baptism in His Spirit. They were waiting for this indwelling of God's Spirit, clothing from on high, a transformation. That's what you and I can receive right here, right now. We don't have to wait. See, they didn't know this was what they were about to get. They did know that they were no match on their own. They knew that in their own strength, they were very vulnerable. And that's why their initial expectations, their carnal hopes and dreams were that Jesus would just set up a kingdom and to ensure their security and their prosperity. Who wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't dream for that? Who wouldn't ask about that, given the chance? But Jesus is going to open their hearts yet even more to what he was calling them to do and what he's calling us to do. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, hey, power from on high, spirit of God on earth, and I guess that means you're going to set up a kingdom on earth, and we're going to build the walls as high as we can, we're going to lock all the bad out, and we're going to make sure all the good are in, right? Is that how this is going to work? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Notice how Jesus grounds their mission. They got really lofty, always oh, a kingdom coming. Is it going to be heaven on earth? They got really you know, lofty with their expectations. They wanted to think about the far out, something that wasn't practical, something that wasn't really going to require them to do anything. It was all about waiting on God to do something that catered to them. But Jesus gets very specific. He says, no, no, no. This power you're getting is for you to go on a mission to places that you know, to places that you live, to places that you don't want to go, places that you've been before but maybe wish, hope you never go back to. He says, no. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth, places that you are well aware of. This is a mission that you are being sent on. Not an opportunity to somehow get dismissed from the world. He goes on, he says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were steadfastly looking toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And this is so powerful. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? Why are you just spectating? Now, maybe they're being hard on these guys. I mean, he literally was ta being taken to heaven. We would have watched too, right? But I think the, the angels must have saw their hearts. God knew their hearts and was getting under their skin here. This same Jesus who is taken up from you will come again in like manner. As in y'all, you've got a job, you've got a mission. This isn't about watching and waiting for some way to get out of this world. But this is about being empowered and commissioned to go into this world. This is so important. If we stand here gazing, we will miss something truly amazing. Christians, this is where, by faith, in a very superficial way, is divided from faith, by faith in a very real and practical way. This is where we get to see and we get to realize just how committed, just how all in we are to what God has called us to do. 
Because by faith and by his spirit is not an escape rope from this world, but an entry point, an opportunity to go into, a starting point to enter our world. But, but they didn't know what awaited them beyond that room. They were worried about what might happen to them outside those walls. Things might not be back to normal. Things might be dangerous. They didn't know what they were going to encounter. And, and you know, hard times work a few ways. Some people stare at hard times in disbelief, as in we're just stunned, we're devastated, we're just angry. Some look away in bitterness and in disgust. But others look through and look past with determination that we're going to do what we feel like God has called us to do, even if it might be difficult. Because by faith doesn't cower. By faith doesn't walk back. By faith understands what God has done and what God can still do. In this text, we find this disciples secretly or not so secretly wishing that Jesus would just restore Israel to its kingdom days. Skip all the mission and all the volume two stuff. Let's just get right to the end, Jesus. Maybe we find ourselves considering or hoping for this in times like we're facing right now. Maybe we think the more spiritual option is just, is just to long to leave this old world. Or maybe we think it would be best if our own worlds were perfected in the heck with what God wants to do with the rest of the world. And maybe you're wondering, and, and I'm, I'm, I ask this question with all sincerity because this might reflect your own heart. Should the church be expecting or hoping for the rapture in this season when things are tougher than normal? I mean, should we be, should we be praying for God to just return things to normal? You see, these disciples were much like us. They thought there was no easy way to go into the world, so why don't you just take us out, God? Why don't you just protect us, God? You see, they were hoping for a restoration of Israel. They were wanting Jesus to make Israel great again. They cared only for Israel. They cared only for their generation. They really only cared for themselves. They weren't bad people. They were just real people. Jesus signals that he wasn't just here for Israel. He wasn't just here for their generation. He wasn't just here for them. He was here for the whole world. He was here for every generation, for everybody. And could it be, could it be that God's plans for the whole world might conflict with the ideal for a specific nation, a, any given generation, any one individual? Could it be that God's bigger and better plans may at any given time conflict what is ideal for a specific nation, a specific generation, or any one individual? And that doesn't mean he doesn't love that nation or that generation or that individual. It just means he has a plan that is better than what we might would have come up on our own. Let me ask you this, because this is important. Where are you planning on spending eternity? This kingdom or God's kingdom? In this finite generation or in a future infinite generation? In your own home or in the Father's house? So, if God has a plan, if God's plan might just bring discomfort or seem iffy to our current individuality, our current generation, our current kingdoms, would you rather him not do what he wants to do 
if it meant that we got to keep what we wanted for a season? This is a real question that we need to wrestle with right now. I mean, what if God's plans might bring discomfort to our individuality, our generation, or our kingdoms? Would you rather Him just not do it? If it meant we get to keep what we wanted for a season? Would you rather God become so small that He can't work on the bigger picture because of what we've got going on? Don't you imagine that would be an eternally dreadful thing for God to do? Don't you imagine you would regret it in eternity? Even if it meant comfort here, would the regret there not be even worse? We have such a limited scope and perspective, we would almost put a stop to God's work if it meant preserving our world, wouldn't we? Remember how Jesus taught us to pray almost as if he knew we would stumble in this area, even doubt that God can be trusted even when we don't understand what he's doing. Matthew 6, Jesus said, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles. And here's what he's meaning. He's not being mean or, being, or picking on us. But he's saying, don't pray in vain or using vain words and ideas that make God so small and so narrow. Focusing only on this one little thing, forgetting what God might be doing in the bigger scheme of things. He says the Gentiles pray this way and they think God is hearing them, but he isn't. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. He says, listen, this is not God not caring for you or not understanding the difficult thing that you might be facing. This is God, this is just you understanding that God knows what you need. And even if His plans might be different than what you would have dreamed up, it doesn't mean He's going to forsake you. By all means, it doesn't mean that. He goes on, but you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Aren't we praying this? Isn't this what we want? And if God starts to do this, should we resist him? Sadly, I don't think this is the way that the 20th or 21st century church has trained many of us to be. Or how many of us have been trained to understand the Bible. Sadly, a lot of us, myself included, were raised in church even to dismiss what God might want to do for what I'd rather Him do. To turn a big God into a small God. See, we confuse God's invitation to know Him personally to an, for an opportunity to personalize Him, don't we? Now, I'm not trying to be critical, but I am trying to free us from a disbelief a lot of us are currently facing, the confusion and the questions we have about our current situation. See, I've grown up, we've grown up in, in America, we've grown up being taught that things like COVID-19 shouldn't happen to us. That America shouldn't face things like this. The rest of the world, we look and observe and we see them suffer, but now that we're facing this, our faith has been shaken, hasn't it? And it leads us to disregarding God's authority and God's sovereignty. We immediately cry things like conspiracy. We try our best to will our own reality into existence because we don't stop and think that maybe God is in control and maybe this is a part of His plan and we don't even consider what He wants us to get out of this. And you see how damaging this can be for our faith if this is the way we believe. The real issue all along may be that our faith is not where it needs to be. Our faith is not what it should be. We've been cultured by church to have a superficial faith. It's on the periphery. 
And when things are good, when life is good, that kind of faith is okay. But, and we can manage the small problems with a peripheral faith. But in times like these, we need a pure and practical faith. Not polluted and confused by God plus the other things that we trust in. For a long time in America, the church has existed alongside our hobbies, alongside our politics, alongside our families as just a pillar that gives us a therapeutic experience for an hour a week. But it doesn't give us anything we consider greater than our pride and joy we find in patriotism, in family, or in recreation or jobs. For many of us, we've settled for a lesser faith. A faith is not just... Faith should never be just a pillar in our lives. It should be the foundation of our lives. But if it ever becomes this, if it ever becomes the foundation, if it becomes what it's meant to be, a greater faith, our lives will be radically transformed and changed. That's what the disciples experience in Acts. That's what we can experience right now. And again, this isn't meant to make us all feel as if gloom and doom, we've got to just accept whatever God, God wants. Listen, uh, we, we shouldn't, and this is not about a surrender in sorrow or in defeat, but this is about a submission to God's kingdom and joy and victory because when we surrender, we submit to Him, we understand the joy that is found in trusting Him and walking by faith and not by sight. But until we're all in, until we're sold out, until we are all in our trust in Christ alone, until we forsake all else for him and filter all other things through our faith we might never know the joy that's awaiting us and we may always feel like God has let us down when in fact he's trying to raise us up you know it's time for an end to this Americanized church culture it's time to return to what was always intended we don't need feel-good numbing ear-pleasing political cultural tribal man-centric messages we need Jesus' word and his call to true life. Where we lay our lives at his feet, desperate for true life. We wait for his provision. We don't turn to lesser things. Then and only then will we be like the disciples, driven, sacrificial, and bold, filled with the promise and power and presence of God. See, the disciples came to this place where in spite of all their still unanswered questions, their fears of what they might lose if they refollowed or if they restarted this movement. They couldn't ignore what had happened. They couldn't ignore verse number three. And the promise of verse four and five was too alluring to settle for lesser things. What had happened against all odds, against their own unbelief, Jesus had died and he'd come back to life. They couldn't deny that. He promised them something they did not deserve. They couldn't say no to that. He appeared to them even though they weren't looking, so they could not walk away from him. And even if following him might cost him greatly, it might not always be easy. They had seen too much. They had heard too much. And deep down in their souls, they felt a call to something greater even if trusting him meant going against their own interest their own wills so they chose to walk by faith and not by sight they chose to believe that jesus was trustworthy that he was reliable because the backdrop was an empty tomb 
And when a dead man shows up and says, just like my tomb is empty, you don't have to stay empty. You believe whatever he says. So they chose to walk by faith. To live as if. To live every day as if verse 3 is true. As if verse 4 and 5 are true. As if Jesus had risen. As if He was Messiah. He was who He claimed to be. He was from the Father. He would give us the presence of God. Power from on high. He was trustworthy. They lived every day grounded in His hope. They lived as if. In spite of. As is. This is not disregarding reality, but having a perseverance and endurance through reality. It isn't about changing culture, but transcending culture. Even if faith cost them, they would live as if He would save them, sustain them. They chose God's way and trusted that He would make a way. They chose to live as if, in spite of the world as it was. That's why their testimony is so strong and so powerful, so demonstrative of God's power. That's how they changed the world. That's why they experienced the fullness of the promise of verse 4 and 5. They weren't a group who never had trouble. They weren't a group that always got their prayers answered. They were a group that realized their purpose in their future, determined to be a vessel that communicated the hope of Jesus. And though their troubles were great, their testimonies were greater. Because their faith was greater. They lived as if, in spite of, as is. And because of their greater faith, they never doubted in God's greater way. See, right now, many of you may be doubting God's greater way because our faith is so small, our faith is so narrow. Our faith doesn't consider that God might be up to something bigger. And even if it feels like it's not for us, God is for us so we can have faith in what He has done. The promise that He makes us in 4 and 5, that His presence is coming to us, will fill us and will get us through whatever we face. The world is waiting to see if the church has a faith that can endure a season like this. And I know that we can. I know that we can get through this because we know that God has made a way. He always makes a way. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. You are the way maker. You are the Savior who has always made ways for us to get through the challenges of this life. God, in times like these, when our faith is so small and our faith is so narrow, we can forget that what you're doing is for the, for the best of all creation. And that it's not to knock us, but it's to prepare us. It's to create within us the hearts that you meant us always to have. God, help us to have faith in what you have done and have faith in what you're going to do. Help us to trust that your promises are better. Your presence is better. Lord, help us in this moment to trade our small faith to trade our lesser faith in for a greater faith. A faith that believes that you are trustworthy. A faith that believes that you have proven yourself and that you will provide and you will answer our prayers. 
Lord, help us to live as if, in spite of as is. In spite of how the world is, help us to live by faith in what you are doing and the way that you always will make. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.